Hello and welcome to another episode of the Simple Faith Podcast. My name is Dave Betts and together with my wife Sharia, we've been exploring all of the things that make our faith what it is. We're trying to strip away all of those unnecessarily churchy and intellectual words and pursue a simple faith, an authentic Christianity for normal people. So with that in mind, I'm very excited to be joined by my good friend, Simon Argent. Uh, Simon is one of the elders of Ascot Life Church in the UK. He helps lead commissions, read course, and he's an all-round top dude. Uh, I kind of love him. So it's, Simon, it's great to have you back on the podcast for like the billionth time. Well, I was just going to say, I think this is the third time. and I don't know when... I kind of begin ousting Shereya as the co-host of the podcast, or, or at least get royalties. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, this is fair. probably this is my question. last time. This is my well, last time I mean, before I get my name on the credits. Yeah. Ironically, Simon is joining us for the next four episodes. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> I think one of the challenges we've had, if you're joining us for the first time, is that Shereya is looking after our son, JJ, who is six months old. And we had this brilliant idea that, you know, we'd continue the podcast, Shereya would have the baby, and then we'd just jump right back into recording these podcasts while he was sleeping. And then we found out that parenthood is actually a lot harder than that. And turns out babysitting is not as easy as we thought. So it turns out life is just not as straightforward as we thought it would be. We're going to step into a new world with Simon. I love talking with Simon. Simon and I used to work together and uh, we used to have lots of these conversations. We used to uh, go into the kitchen first thing in the morning and just have a good chat while I made a cup of tea and Simon made a a good cup of coffee. And uh, it was a good time. And some of the things we used to talk about were things like healing. And in fact, just before this, uh, we started recording here, we were talking about the idea of blessing and Sermon on the Mount. And it's good. Mm -hmm. I just love talking about theological things with you, Simon. It's It's a really good, good thing. Today, we are going to be talking about divine healing. In fact, for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about uh, divine healing. We're asking the question, does God heal physically, divinely, miraculously, supernaturally today? And what happens if he doesn't? So we're going to actually take a a four episode approach to this. This is something that we've been working up to for a long time. So if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you might remember we did a, a long look at how the church responds to LGBT. And we, we spent a long time preparing and studying for that. And then the next one, we spent a long time preparing and studying for the question of suffering. Today is one of those deep dives. And we are really praying that this would be helpful and uh, effective and a blessing for you. We're going to talk about today, uh, divine healing in the Bible. So where do we see healing in the Bible? And then we're going to talk about, well, the question, does God heal today? In episode two, next week, we're going to ask the question, is divine healing guaranteed? And then episode three, the really crucial one is, what is the believer's role in divine healing? What is the Christian's role in uh, divine healing? And then episode four, we're going to ask that really important question. Well, what do we do if healing doesn't come? So we think that those questions, that that episode structure will help us build a really strong foundation with this question of healing, because we know it's caused a lot of challenges and questions in the past. It's, it's, it's a really... Uh, sticky sub- subject that actually can cause a lot of pain if we mishandle this truth. So, Simon, with that in mind, let's take a quick break and then we'll just jump right in together. Sounds good. So, 
So one of the first things I think we need to do is we need to understand what the Bible says about healing. I think trying to understand healing without, you know, looking at the Bible is kind of like, I don't know, attempting to build a skyscraper without uh, any architectural <laughs> plans or engineers or uh, training or anything like that. And yet that's what so many of us do. We we base our views on healing on experience or lack of experience or maybe like a loose understanding of maybe one or two bible verses out of context as well uh, which often isn't super helpful is it simon yeah I, I totally agree i have this conversation a lot with people uh, i helped run the student ministry at our church and this is something we often talk about is you know what does the church think about this and i was having this exact conversation the other day and what we realized and I've seen in so many conversations I've had is that both of us were, we thought different things about this issue. Does God heal today? And for both of us, it was, we were bringing our experience into that a lot. So I grew up in a church that pursued these things, believed that God healed. And so that was shaping my experience, uh, sorry, shaping my beliefs. But this this guy that I was speaking to, he was saying, I don't believe that, I don't believe the Bible says this stuff. And it came down to, in part, that he just never seen God heal or never seen a prophecy. And uh, that's not to say that either of us were right or wrong for those reasons. But what we found we had to do is we had to kind of set aside our experience and let the Bible, you know, be the foundation for our, our debate rather than us letting our experience to take what the Bible says. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Experience is not something to be totally discounted, but hmm. it's not the it's not the centerpiece. The Bible's the centerpiece, right? And so with that in mind, what I'd love us to do is maybe just go through the entirety of the Bible and just uh, we're not going to have time to talk about every single instance of healing or the miraculous, but what we can do is paint a bit of a broad picture of the wider narrative. And so we're going to look at the different sections of the Bible, the, the Torah, the Old Testament historical books, the poetry and the prophets and the New Testament. And for some of you, you might be listening and thinking, well, what on earth are those? Uh, that, that's okay. I totally get that. Those are, those are sometimes new concepts for us to hear. We've actually done a few episodes talking about those. So you can head to, I think it's like episode two, three, four, five, and six or something like that, where you can find basically a walkthrough of those different sections of the Bible. So I'd encourage you to check that out if you're interested, but we're going to jump basically to the beginning of the Bible, to the Torah, the first five books. And we'll talk about hmm. some places where we can see he healing there. Well, for me, it's, it's worth mentioning that sickness and death entered the world through Adam and Eve, or definitely, hmm. okay, definitely death. I've been thinking about this one. I'm, I'm pretty sure sickness entered the world through Adam and Eve, but like, is sickness necessarily a bad thing? Like, is it actually death? Hmm. Well, you'd... My view, I guess, yeah, I can point to a verse to back this up. But my view, surely it would, sickness seems to be a process on the way to death. What would sickness be like if there wasn't death at the end? It would be quite, could it exist without that? I don't. But, but you don't die when you have a cold. No, some, you're maybe right. Some, maybe sometimes you do. Um, but your immune system becomes stronger. I, mm. I, I'm just, okay, this is completely <laughs> off topic. And I'm just kind of wondering. But then in Revelation, at the end of Revelation, we'll talk about this later. It says there'll mm. be no sickness and no pain and you assume that that's kind of the the conclusion the the yeah. fixing the bringing back to what was the original intention of god's kingdom so maybe there wasn't I, yeah. I, i'm not saying there definitely was it's not some like hot topic controversial view i just just a thought really i'm not going out onto any crazy heretical limbs here i'm just wondering the, just asking the question but yeah, anyway you write a point, paper on it. point yeah. is yeah <laughs> yeah when adam and eve sin we call that the fall and then that's where uh, sickness and death entered the world through the curse there as soon as Genesis 20, we see we get to Abraham and 
Abimelech and his wife are healed after Abraham prays for them. God heals them. So we're already seeing seeing healing that early on. And then in Exodus, uh, there's a really important, really important bit when it, actually when we're talking about healing. We don't talk about this much, but after God uh, Moses has led his people through the parting of the the sea. The Lord then declares something really interesting. He declares that he is Jehovah Rapha. And what that means is, uh, I am the Lord who heals. That's a really big deal. So one of God's names mm. that he declares himself as is the Lord who heals. So that's, that's huge. So we'll tuck that one away. I found also numbers. God heals Miriam's skin disease after Moses prays. And it's probably worth mentioning that in the Old Testament, there's this interesting thing that God sometimes inflicts disease on people as punishment for their sin as punishment for disobedience mm. and and that's a conversation for a bit a bit later i think but that's kind of crazy but then also i found in Levit- leviticus and deuteronomy god promised to how our faithfulness would lead to health and blessing and disobedience would lead to to curses which included sickness and, and stuff like that mm. what i'm not saying there and what the bible isn't saying is that god is the only one who inflicts sickness and disease in the old testament so every time you see sickness it has to be because god has inflicted it that's not what we're saying we're saying that sometimes god inflicts sickness as a punishment for sinfulness in the old testament emphasis on in the old testament not in the the new testament Mm. so anyway that that's kind of all the things i found in the torah is there anything that you would add to that or any thoughts that you would like to well i think another another thing to chuck into the conversation is it when you read through leviticus and that you know the book that all of us dread getting to on our Bible of the Year plan. But when you read through those laws, actually you find there is a huge emphasis on wellness and mm. health. I mean, you've drawn out the, the blessings and curses thing, which you know talks about health and uh, sickness. But there's also, even in the laws, there's so many laws about you know being sick, having skin diseases, you know bleeding, all this sort of thing. I think part of the reason for that is kind of the, the big story of Leviticus is trying to get us back into God's presence uh, you know, we've been cast out of the garden where, you know, we're hypothesizing that there was no sickness. And so to come back into the tabernacle, which is kind of like a mini garden of Eden, it requires wellness because, you know, there's no sickness there. And so I think it's just another kind of thing to chuck into the story that God's big narrative that he's trying to take his people into is, of course, salvation, being in his presence. But that also includes wellness and, and health. Yeah. That's so good. I mean, some of those laws that you find in Leviticus, I've heard people say, well, that's, you know, to help you stay healthy while, if, while you're in, mm. you know, a time where that, where hygiene and stuff was not strong. So yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that's, that's true. I think that's a really good point. And I do want to say, just in case you're listening and you really do think I've gone off the deep end, I was just suggesting that I didn't see sickness coming to the world. I do think that sickness came in because of Adam and Eve. I'm just, I was mm. just asking the question. I'm super nervous oh, yeah. about that. Well, but how do you I, learn um, new things without asking the question? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just asking questions. Asking questions is a good thing. Let's jump to the historical books. And there's, there's a lot of healing in the historical books. So we're talking from you know, like Joshua all the way through to Ezra and Nehemiah and, mm. um, and Esther and all that stuff. There's so much going on there. But I, I mean, Samson and Samuel, we're, you might be familiar with those characters in the Bible. They're, they're both born after God heals barren wounds. Mm. Um, the Bible says that Ruth and Boaz are granted conception by the Lord, uh, which, which results in their son's birth, which incidentally, I think, is it his son's birth or the next son's birth? That's King David. I mean, I can't, so that's a big deal. God uses Elijah and Elisha to raise the dead to life. Like That's a huge deal. Which one is it that just lies on top of a body and then they oh, heal? Oh, I wouldn't know. <laughs> 
I, my, I get mixed my up. trick is to just try and you know they sound the same anyway so elijah <laughs> and you'll get the yeah. right answer <laughs> yeah i i have to be honest and say i sometimes get mixed up between the two when i'm trying to remember <laughs> they're pretty close to be fair but yeah there's there's one story where one of them just leans lean lies on one of them and they there's healed right there's healed. <laughs> weird. i haven't tried that yet so i don't oh, know if that works it's, it works a treat 100 success <laughs> on that one 100 <laughs> okay well we need to back up from that place again <laughs> And also, God clean, uh, cleanses uh, name and skin disease in Second yeah. Kings as well. So mm-hmm. uh, there's already a, f- a few few things happening in the historical books. Again, Simon, any thoughts? Yeah. Anything that I missed there? Well, I think that, that we, you kind of by that point you're kind of seeing a theme come through, which is often God's prophet or God's the one that He's kind of yeah that He is with. A mark of that will often be healing. So you you brought up mm-hmm. Abraham healing Abimelech, and then Moses. Um, prays for the healing of his sister of a skin disease. You know, there's Elisha and Naaman, all of these. And it's, so healing is, it's not less than a sign of God's compassion on someone, but it's more than that. It can be a Mm. sign that God is with this person. You need to listen to this person, which is obviously a seed that we'll see grow into something more in the New Testament. Yeah, that's great. So yeah, I mean, let's let's jump into the poets and the prophets because we've talked a little bit about prophets Mm. there. There's so much here. I mean, even the poetry is full of, healing. King David, he talks about God's ability to bring divine healing in the Psalms. He cries out for healing in places like Psalm 6. So he recognizes God's like restoring yeah. hand on his life in Psalm 30. And he recognizes that there's a relationship between uh, sickness and sin in Psalm 41 as well. And by the way, you're probably hearing a lot of these Bible verses and thinking, how on earth am I keeping up with these? Uh, I get it. It's tough. If you want me to send you all these Bible verses, then you can send me an email at simplefaithpodcast at gmail.com. I'll be glad to do that. I recognize there's a lot of Bible verses. I think the point here is to show you just the breadth of God's healing power and healing work throughout the pages of Scripture. So it, it might be hard to keep up, but if you want to double check those again, just let me know. Uh, I mean, there's an anonymous, uh, anonymous, anonymous, <laughs> there's an anonymous psalm, psalmist. I'm going to say that one more time. There is an anonymous psalmist (laughs) who reflects on God's ability to bring physical and emotional healing to his people uh, in Psalm 147. And then even in Proverbs, Proverbs 4, 20 to 22 tells us that the words of the Lord bring life and health. And that's an interesting Mm -hmm. thing. Life, you can understand. Yeah, it brings life, but also health. So uh, we, we recognize that there is this healing in God. We look back to what it says in Exodus, Exodus, Jehovah Rapha, I am the Lord who heals. You know, there's, mm. there's, there's lots going on. And that's just the, the poetry. You know, we, we haven't talked about Job yet, who, you know, Job suffered and suffered and suffered, but then he lived a long and prosperous life. Well, why does anyone live a long life? Because God allows them to. <laughs> I think we see that in mm. Psalm 139, right? That God allows people to live long lives. He, know, he numbers their days. Anything about the poets before we kind of dig into the prophets? Oh, probably. I think you've hit all the nails on the head for the poets. I couldn't add anything to that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about prophets. Is there any healing in, in the prophets? Well, I, I've just been, even as you've been talking, I've just been trying to uh, find some verses that I'm thinking of. Can't find them. So maybe they can go in the show notes or whatever. But yeah. uh, they're, they're, I think that healing continues to be a big theme in the prophets. And But I I don't know so much about like kind of personal healing of someone like we see in the historical narratives, but God speaks a lot about, again, I wish I had some verses to back this up, but he speaks a lot about like the healing of his nation. Mm. And from my reading, there is a kind of 
tying of healing to forgiveness. So God talks about, you know, his people there in exile and talks about them coming back. And that's spoken about as a forgiveness moment because God is forgiving them for their sins. Uh, it's, a, it's a salvation moment. It's an exodus moment. But he also says, you know, in that context, I will heal all your diseases. And I don't think that is to simply spiritualize healing as if to say, oh, healing, you know, it's not healing. Physical healing isn't important. It's, you know, just a sign of God forgiving you. But I think it is it is meant to, we're meant to see them as kind of a, a package deal. Mm. Um, and so God uses that language of healing to as a kind of picture of this incredible forgiveness and salvation from the land of death, um, which was Babylon and Assyria. So, yeah, I, I don't know. What would you add to that, Dave? Well, I, I, yeah, just to say, I think you're on the money there in terms of this idea of blessings and curses. It comes back to that right yes. at the beginning. If you, yes. you know, in Deuteronomy, if you, if you follow God, you'll experience goodness and blessing and life and hope and healing. And, and if you choose to walk away from God, if you choose a life of sin, you, you'll experience curses and, and challenges and pain and, and and all those things. You see, you experience the ravages of sin and, and all that stuff. And I think it all ties together. You know, what you're saying there, it ties together with this big picture that, that God is teaching his people is, Actually, what I want for you is is what's best for you, and that includes your 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 physical healing at times. And now God is is sovereign. God is overall. His plans are bigger than ours, and sometimes we don't experience those healings. But we're kind of getting jumping ahead there. I think we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, going back to the prophets, I just wanted yeah, you know, I just wanted to mm. talk about that before we got back into the prophets. In the, the book of Hosea, specifically in chapter six, actually, the prophet recognizes the need to turn to the God who heals. Uh, Isaiah basically says the same thing in Isaiah thirty. Jeremiah cries out for healing from God in chapter seventeen of Jeremiah, and and then here's a really crucial passage which we're going to talk about a bit more as we go through this series. Isaiah fifty three or Isaiah fifty three, whichever. We'll always jump back and forth as long as there's a Brit living in Canada talking to a Brit living in the UK. But he speaks of how there's this suffering servant who we now know to be Jesus, who would bear humanity's sickness on his, his shoulders and, and carry their pains and that healing would come with a Messiah who would bring healing by his wounds. And, and we'll talk more about that again later in the series. That's a really important passage in the context of, of divine healing. But even in the final chapter of the, the Old Testament in Malachi 4, I think I'm pretty sure it's the final chapter, God encourages his people that, that healing was on the way. He says this, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stool. So mm. what we're seeing here just in the Old Testament is this broad picture of a God who heals. And we haven't even stepped into the New Testament yet. You know, if you're listening now, chances are, if you've never looked at healing before, you might think, well, healing really comes when Jesus comes and it's, the miracles come when Jesus enters the picture. But actually, what we see in the Old Testament is a broad, vast picture of a God who is ready to bring healing to those who cry out to him in faithfulness. So uh, I think that's a really important thing. So I guess we should jump into the New Testament, Simon. I mean, there's yeah. so much. It kind of explodes oh, in the New Testament, yeah. doesn't it? It gets good. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It um, continues being. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much. 
Uh, here's some of the things I found. I'll just quickly reel some off and then maybe you can add to it. I'm sure you've yeah. got a lot more to add as well. In the life and ministry of Jesus, he heals a withered hand by stretching it out in Matthew 12. He heals blind eyes by spitting in them in Mark 8. In John 9, he spits on the ground and makes mud and covers his eyes instead with the mud. And sometimes he heals people by laying hands on people like the high priest's servant after someone cuts off his ear in Luke 22 or the woman at the synagogue in Luke 13. Uh, in Mark 7, he heals a deaf and mute man by putting his fingers in the man's ears and touching his <laughs> tongue. In Mark 1 and Matthew 9, Jesus takes people by the hand and raises them from sickness. But in Luke 7 and John 11, he raises people from death itself, which is a huge deal. And sometimes uh, healing would come after he commanded it. So like Matthew 9 and John 5, but other times he would pray even more than once. So like Mark 8 and and sometimes this is really, really interesting. And I'm going to slow down here because I think it's something that we should focus on. Sometimes Jesus chose not to heal. I don't know if you've ever mm. noticed that, but if you're familiar with the pool of Bethesda, Jesus heals a paralytic who's been waiting by the pool for ages. There, there was this belief that if he was in the pool at the right time, that he would get healing and he was struggling to get into the pool. And there's, there's lots of people who want healing. Jesus heals the paralytic, but as he walks away, there's still a bunch of other people around the pool mm. who weren't healed. Jesus could have healed them all at once. And yet he chose not to. That's an important thing to, to recognize as we, we move on. I mean, we, we could go on. He sometimes healed on the Sabbath. Sometimes he healed because he was moved with compassion. Sometimes he healed because they believed. And sometimes he couldn't heal because of their, their little faith. But then mm. uh, he rose people from the dead. So how much is faith a factor if you're already dead? <laughs> and in Matthew 17, he says that people with small faith uh, will be able to do will move mountains. Nothing will be impossible for those who have faith as small as a mustard seed. And when the disciples were asked if it was sin that caused sickness, like we talked about in the Old Testament, that sometimes it was sin. Jesus said, no, it was so that God's work might be displayed in the man. And that's not even talking about the role of like unclean spirits and, and demon possessions and stuff like that. I mean, Jesus's yeah. ministry when it comes to healing was pretty varied, wasn't it, Simon? Oh, Yeah. I'm just trying to look for a verse again, but I'm, I don't think I'm going to have time to find it. But I think what you've just painted with all those chapters and uh, instances of healing is, I think what the, the gospel writers are trying to get to, across to us, which is healing is a big mark of what Jesus did. Like mm. one thing that the people always knew about Jesus was uh, when, when he goes somewhere, he heals. I think what's helpful for us to do is just tie all those threads that we've seen in the old testament to this moment mm. so you know we talk about um in the torah you know the the tabernacle was where you would kind of go to get your healing authenticated like the priest would kind of be part of the process of healing for you from a skin disease and yet what do we see oh wait jesus is like a kind of human tabernacle where he goes healing comes and of course mm. like john picks up on that he's like the word became flesh and tabernacled with us we've seen that like you know, healing is something that God often makes accompany his prophet, whether it's Abraham, Moses, Elijah, Elisha. And again, we see Jesus moving around. People say he's a he's a prophet. He's a Jeremiah. And what happens with him? Wherever he goes, he heals. And we've also even seen healing tied to the forgiveness and the restoration of the nation of Israel. And I think that was a big uh, the, the healings that Jesus did weren't just healings in themselves, but they were like a big flashing light saying, in this man, through his work, God is going to restore all the hopes that were kind of 
left in dashes in shreds at the end of the Old Testament. So, yeah, speaking volumes, uh, yeah. the healings Jesus does. Yeah, and that healing comes, of course, comes with the message, but it's also then transferred into the the apostles and the disciples and yes. believers, right? Yes. So we we see that throughout the rest of the the New Testament, and we could spend a lot of time talking about the Book of Acts and all the healings that come through there. You know, we see again raising from the dead. You know, Eutychus falling out of a window, and mm. uh, Paul going and laying hands on him, and him being healed again. Like I think he lays hands on him. Actually, I, I, I'm not sure if that's completely true, but it certainly raises him from the dead. And, yeah. and in, okay, the places like the Book of James where James talks about how if you if any of you is sick, then get the elders to lay hands on you and anoint them with anoint mm. you with oil. You know, that's that's a big deal. Some what does oil have to do with healing? Mm. And we'll maybe kind of get to that a bit later. And and even in Galatians four thirteen, Paul isn't able to preach the gospel to Galatians because of an illness. Or I think he in fact, is it the other way around? Maybe he has to preach he is able to preach the gospel because of yeah, illness. Yeah. I forget which way around it is. I, I can look that up later. The point is, there is a lot going on. You know, we've just talked about you know, a brief survey, a brief run through of the entire scriptures. And of course, the Bible's huge. We can't do that in the time that we have to go systematically through every single verse that talks about healing. But hopefully what this does is paint a picture that God is, is very much mm. interested in healing, bringing divine yeah. physical healing uh, in in the Bible. Now the question is, and this is what I'd like to talk about in the next section, Simon, and I'd love to hear from you on this. This does God heal today? So He heals in the Bible. Does He heal today? Let's find out after the break. So healing clearly happens in the Bible, but very few of us experience the kinds of regular, verifiable, miraculous physical healing that that we find just like strewn across the, the pages of scripture. So Simon, the question is this, does God heal today? Yeah, it's a good, good question. I guess the, the thing to do with any of these like kind of big Bible questions is to to specify what what we mean by that, does God heal today? Because I think there will be difference of opinion on that issue, but there will be some things on which I think all Christians would agree. Uh, I'm sure all Christians would agree that God heals in some ways. Uh, we'd agree that he heals through just natural processes. So uh, I cut my hands quite often because uh, I'm clumsy, but I often find that they are healed. And if I believe in a sovereign God who rules the universe, I believe actually God's been involved in that because he's created my body to do that. We'd also agree that, you know, medical advances are under God's hand, that if I go to the doctors and I'm cured by some antibiotics or something, actually God's been involved in that. I, but I guess the, the the difference of opinion would be uh, over, you know, do, does God do miraculous divine healings like we see in the Bible? And I guess even more specifically, should we pursue them? Like mm. if I find out someone in my flat block is sick, should my response be the same as that of Elijah? Or, well, hopefully not the, the lying on top thing, but, um, or the same as someone in the Gospels who comes and says, Jesus, my, you know, my friend, my daughter is sick, come and heal them. Should, should that be my response to go and pray for that person? Mm. Or have, have those things ceased? You know, was that just for the kind of time of Jesus and the apostles? Uh, and now God reveals himself in other ways, or, or is, it, is it a thing that we should be 
pursuing in the same way today? I guess that's the question, is it? Yeah, it, that, that's a really good clarification, actually. I, I think there's two primary views and, you know, this show is built on not using unnecessarily churchy words. I think these are two necessary churchy words. Uh, it's the cessationist position and the continuationist position. Now, they, they both sound quite intimidating when you first hear them, but it's actually quite simple. You see, cessationist basically is talking about how the healing gifts and how miraculous gifts have ceased. So cessationist. Mm. So uh, that, that kind of makes it feel a bit simpler in my head, at least. The cessationist mm. position and then the continuationist position, which seems fairly self-explanatory that the gifts continue so have they ceased or do they continue well those are the two views maybe we can examine both of those in the time that we have today uh let's start with cessationism this idea that the gifts have ceased i, I found four mm -hmm. kind of key arguments but i wonder maybe you could shed some light on cessationism and kind of some of the views there and and we maybe we can yeah. kind of build on that yeah so it might be helpful to to kind of have a conversation over what the arguments we've heard are. Cards on the table, I, I'm i in the continuationist camp. So I need to be careful that I don't paint the other, you know, view in a way that's wrong. So if, you know, I might miss some of these, but so cessationism, not to be confused, by the way, with sensationalism, which is <laughs> my favorite thing when you're having a conversation with people about this is when they're called, oh, he's a sensationalist. It's like, no, I think that's a, that's a different thing. But my view that, yeah, a few arguments I've kind of heard and interacted with. One is that kind of the miracles and particularly healings that we see accompany Jesus and the apostles were there to authenticate their message, meaning that they were there to authenticate that this was what God was saying, that, that their words that they were speaking were the true gospel, that people should believe them. And so they were necessary only for a certain time to authenticate the gospel message until it was then, you know, bound up in scripture and the, you know, the canon was uh, codified and those sorts of things. And so when that happened, uh, those things could then cease because they no, no longer needed that authentication. Mm. Um, and there's, I think there's a passage in 1 Corinthians 13 that uh, says when the perfect comes, or I should probably get this exactly right, what in 1 Corinthians 13, let me just flick to it really quickly. Uh, 1 Corinthians yeah, while, 13, you're, while you're finding it, I should just say, yeah. uh, when we talk about co the canon being codified, what we're saying is we're talking <laughs> about that we're talking about the yeah. Bible being kind of definitively decided that, hey, this, these are the books of the Bible. These are the books that, we're, that are going to form our Bible. And so, Simon, what you're saying then is once that, yeah. that process had finished, which was, you know, a couple of hundred, a couple of a hundred years after mm. Jesus was there, uh, living on this earth and, and died and rose again for us. That's when there was no need by that point for any more gifts. And so some people would say that gifts actually ended with the, the eyewitness apostles of Jesus. Yeah. But anyway, sorry, yeah. that passage that you were talking about in, in first Corinthians. Yeah. So the, the passage kind of going on that theme is we, it's talking about prophecy, but it's applied to kind of all kind of spiritual gifts things. So it says, we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, then the partial will come to an end or the partial will cease, which is again where we get that term cessationism. And kind of people who who take this view, in my experience, would kind of point to maybe in the, the book of Acts, miracles and healings and these sorts of things seem to pare down. Uh, they say as you read through Paul's letters, if you set them up chronologically, he talks less and less about these things as they go forward. And even, you know, just point to church history, they say 
we don't see as many of those things today. They seem to have kind of slowed down after that. And so uh, perhaps it's because, you know, we've finished that time. The perfect has come. Uh, they need to put that down to the kind of the apostles era finishing or to the, you know, the, the Bible being what the word I used codified, like brought to completion. Yeah, around like AD 325. Those are the arguments I've heard. Have you heard, heard any on top? Well, yeah, I have. But I mean, maybe let's just respond to that argument quickly. Yeah. You know, there's a, an author called Jack Deere who wrote a book on healing. He says, if you were to lock a brand new Christian in a room with a Bible and tell him to study what scripture says about healing and miracles, he would never come out of the room a cessationist. And uh, mm. I, I like that. I find that I mean, it's a pretty bold statement. I think one of the things I struggle with, with that argument that the gifts ended with the first apostles and and with the the Bible's kind of canonization with it becoming a you know a, a set text that had been given to us is that it's just really scripturally empty you know there's no scriptural evidence there's no biblical evidence that says that the gifts have ceased other than when the perfect is en- ended but that could just as easily be interpreted and i would argue and i think perhaps you would as well that when it comes it talks about when the perfect comes we're talking about the return of jesus you know, we're talking mm. about the we're talking about the the end of uh, of humanity and this new heavens and new earth. We're talking about that as opposed to the Bible. And it seems like a stretch to describe it as the scripture at that point, especially when it's in, in the Bible as it is. And so it seems to me that that's a, a stretch. And and even often one of those arguments would be that it it's the eyewitness apostles that had those accompanying gifts of healing and stuff. But actually there were people like Apollos and Silas who were referred to as apostles and st- and still had those gifts so that doesn't necessarily fit i don't think i I, for me i just think that's a that's a weak argument you're you're saying okay well the gifts ended because we decided that they ended and we don't experience it anymore but actually if you read the bible and you see all the healings throughout the breadth of scripture and you see it in acts with the uh, and you see jesus you see that healing was a very important ministry so if it was going to cease you'd argue that that would have to be pretty uh pretty clear yeah well yeah, I agree. And I, I think, you know, talk about, you know, if it did cease healings with just something Jesus and the apostles did, then it, it's hard to make sense of what we see Paul writing to, you know, the church in Corinth and uh, maybe the church in Galatia. I think he talks about, you know, you that the gifts of healing that you are experiencing. He talks about that in Galatians 3, the first few verses, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. So clearly it wasn't just a thing uh, that apostles were doing. And it also, I think it's hard to make the case that they did slow down towards, you know, as the church grew more mature, because yeah. I think there are there are other reasons why we don't see as many healings towards the end of the book of Acts. I think because it's, it's kind of mirroring the gospels where, you know, there's lots of healings in the first parts of Jesus's life, but then he begins the way to the cross and the focus kind of shifts. And I think the author, Luke, is kind of para- mirroring that a little bit. Mm. And so he wants the, the focus to be elsewhere. That, But that doesn't mean that, you know, healings have ceased just because Luke isn't recording them. There's loads of stuff he's not recording. And also, there's a guy called Craig Keener. I don't know if you've heard of his book, Miracles. He, you know, looks into uh, authors known as the Church Fathers, mm. who they're called that because, you know, they're the real old guys of the church. They're like the theologians just after Paul and the apostles have died. And he goes, combs through their writings and says, look, they they were still seeing lots of healings. Actually, there's a lot of things they say. They say that prophecy continues. They say, talk about healings they've seen. So I don't think the kind of fading away argument 
holds water as, as much as mm. we might think it does. Yeah, that's really good. I think one of the one of the argu- other arguments, some of these arguments kind of meld together. But one of the other arguments is that, well, in the Bible, healings were always immediate and never failed. That's that's an of, often a mm. common argument of cessationists. And I think initially it seems quite strong. You're like, well, yeah, it does seem that case. It seems like that's the case. But I just think logically it it doesn't work. It's a, it's an argument from from silence. So in other words, it's an argument without any evidence. You're you're assuming something based on a lack of evidence, but like you just mentioned, and John 20 tells us that the Gospels couldn't contain, couldn't contain all of the signs and wonders uh, that Jesus performed. There's no way. Did he always heal with total success? It's kind of like the sickness talk at the beginning. Probably, mm-hmm. but we can't say for sure based on the accounts that we have. We don't know that he always, always, always was successful. We know that Paul wasn't instantly healed from sickness. Second uh, Timothy tells us that he left Trophimus in Miletus because he was yeah. sick even though he'd already been to Miletus and healed tons and tons of people there. It says that in Acts. And so the question is, did Paul choose not to pray for Trophimus? Because if he did, then he's an evil man. (laughs) If he could have prayed and chose not to, and I don't think he is. Otherwise, we can assume that his initial prayers failed or weren't immediate. So if that's Paul, are we saying that we have more faith than Paul? I don't think so. But I think Paul is, is a pretty good example of faith. And so if he wasn't able to heal immediately, I think it stands to reason that maybe our healings aren't going to be immediate and maybe sometimes will fail. I don't know if there's any thought you want to give to that. Yeah, and I think the truth, even if it is true that the apostles and Jesus had like a much higher success, well, you know, success rate and it was much more immediate, even if that was true, something Andrew Wilson says, which I think uh, we've, a guy we've both read on this, uh, he says that that shouldn't stop us pursuing healing in our time because the the apostles also saw much greater uh, success in other areas like in their evangelism peter on the the first day of the church preaches a sermon and sees 3000 people saved now we don't say well you've never preached well i don't know about you dave i've never preached a sermon and seen 3000 saved <laughs> but we we don't conclude from that well clearly we shouldn't be doing it because you know we're not seeing it's not the same as when they did it yeah. Um, they also planted churches much quicker than we do. We don't say we don't plant churches because we're not seeing the incredible expansion they're seeing. What we do instead is say, well, how can we learn from them? Mm-hmm. You know, how can we learn from the wisdom and the principles they're applying? And it, I think it should be the same with healing. Yeah, we're, I, I am. I read the gospel accounts. I am dissatisfied with the healing I see in my life. Mm-hmm. But um, I think a healthy response is to say, well, how can I pursue that more? Not, well, then I'll just back away from this because I'm not yeah. seeing it at the level of mag- magnitude I'd like. Yeah, that is a really excellent argument, actually. I love that. I, I will remember that for sure. I want to jump into some uh, two other arguments real quick because I'm conscious of time here. Um, we haven't even talked mm. about the continuationist position yet. But um, one of the other arguments that is regularly put forward by people like uh, famous theologians like John MacArthur, uh, he's, he wrote a book that was ex- expressly against the use of gifts in the church because he thought they were not biblical. He would say that they, the abuse of the gifts show that they're not genuine. So he would talk about kind of these name it and claim it prosperity gospel preachers who way out there kind of pursue emotional experience over spiritual truth and like Benny Hinn and people like that. If you, okay, if you want to see something funny, search for Benny Hinn lightsaber, you'll have a great time. Cause that, and what I want to tell you, I think Benny Hinn is a heretic. I think what he teaches is unbiblical. I think it's unhealthy. I think he has a wrong view of divine healing, uh, but it's pretty funny. 
so keep an eye on those things. I, 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 the problem with that argument for me is that, yes, people do pursue emotional experience over biblical truth sometimes, but it's impossible to heal, to, to, it's impossible to say, hey, well, just because some of these people are abusing these, these gifts and are doing it for personal gain, therefore every divine healing since the apostle was false, the first apostles were false. That seems ridiculous to me. And I think it's, it's impossible to claim that God can't heal today just because a few people are misusing that gift. That, that seems like mm. a weak argument. So we've already got uh, like three weak arguments. And the last argument that I really struggle with, because it seems pretty good when you first listen to it, is, well, there's no evidence that men and women have healing gifts in our churches. So I want to read uh, a guy called Tom Schreiner, who says, he wrote an article called Why I'm a Cessationist. He says this, I doubt the gift of miracles and healing exists today, for it isn't evident that men and women in our church have such gifts. Certainly God can, can and does heal at times, but where are the people with these gifts? Claims for miracles and healings must be verified, just as the people verified the blind man's healing in John 9. I think that seems like a great argument, but it's so flawed. I'm going to get my soapbox for a second here, Simon, because I think Jump. It's, it's a big deal. <laughs> Firstly, he's saying that his church that doesn't believe in healing gifts hasn't seen any healing gifts and therefore it must be false. Th- that's circular reasoning to me. Like that's like atheists saying, well, I haven't tried to get to know God, but he can't be real because I haven't gotten to know him. But it, if you're not seeking those things, of course, you're not going to find. Matthew 7 says, you know, if you seek it, you'll find. If you're not seeking them, you're not going to find them. So it seems to me that churches who believe, you talked about this earlier, churches who believe that God's, God heals today, funnily enough, have lots of evidence of God's healing today. Churches that don't believe that God heals today don't have much evidence of God healing today. So it kind of makes sense that, you know, if you, if you haven't experienced it and you're not looking for it, of course, you're not going to find it. If, you, if, you, if you're not looking for your lost keys, you're not going to find them, probably. Let's be real. Mm. And so you might stumble upon them. And that's great. That might be a, a f- fortunate occasion. But the reality is, if you're not looking, you probably won't find. So sorry about that little bit of a rant there, Simon. It's helpful. Yeah. Well, I think that so when I in period of my life, I was questioning, I said I grew up in a, a charismatic church that really pursued these things. But there was a point when I was thinking, do I really believe this? And that it was because I just wasn't seeing it in my own life. I pray for some healings never happened. I'd never had that moment. And I was tempted to believe that they didn't exist, partly out of, you know, a kind of rebellious spirit against my upbringing, but also partly because it was just, it would have just been easier for me to believe that because it was it shielded, shielded me from the disappointment of praying again and not seeing it happen. But I, yeah, I've, I've come to the convic- conviction that, again, we just can't base it on experience. Uh, we have yeah. to base it on what we read in the Bible, which I think is probably a good lead into discussing why we would both be continuationists. Yeah, let's just spend a few minutes on that because I think, you know, obviously we've pushed our view as continuationists by refuting the view of cessationists. So we've kind of uh, argued for continuationist uh, positions by going against cessationist positions. I think continuationism is a logical view. To say that the Bible, the biblical view of healing is one that continues today kind of makes sense. I think things like James 5, you know, what about the the elders laying on hands and anointing with oil for healing? Is that something that's stopped? Or like you said before, what about the spiritual mm. gifts in 1 Corinthians 12? I just, to me, it seems really unlikely that those gifts would end. I think it's a real stretch to try and read something into the Bible that isn't being said there. I think it takes much, much less of a jump to go, oh, well, the Bible said this. 
and I trust the Bible, as mm-hmm. we've talked about in previous podcast episodes, Simon, we trust the Bible. So therefore, we have reason to believe that the, those healing gifts continue today. Is there anything you'd kind of add to that before we, we finish this episode? Yeah, I, I think, again, another thing Andrew Orson says on this, which, you know, I'm just putting his name out there because I'm stealing a lot of what I'm saying from him. But he says the, the burden of proof has to be on those who would say these things have stopped rather than those who'd say these things continue because because of the the large number of imperatives kind of commands in the new testament to pursue these things so yeah you mentioned 1 corinthians 12 says a manifestation of the spirit is given to each person for the common good of the church to one's given a message of wisdom to another a message of knowledge to another faith to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. And so to say we're not going to look for those gifts of healing to be given to us, um, I would say it's pretty close to a, um, a disobedience to what Paul's saying to us mm. there. And so you have to have incredible, incredibly good proof from Scripture to do that. And, you know, sometimes Scripture does, you know, commands are changed or abrogated in a new period. So, you know, at one point in Jesus's uh, ministry, he says, do not go amongst the Gentiles, stick amongst the people of Israel to his disciples. Um, but that message is abrogated at the end of his ministry. He says, now go into all the nations of the earth and make disciples of all nations. But so, but there's a clear, that, that is very made very clear. Um, and for me, I just don't see that for the, these to stop. I think they are a mark of the new age. Uh, they're a mark of the gospel going out into the world. And we are still in that period. Um, so as much as I, you know, don't always see the healings I want to, I'm forced to pray for them because I think, you know, the Bible's telling me to. Yeah. That's where I've landed. Great. Simon, that's so good. It's been great talking about this with you. We have landed on a place where we see that healing is just strewn across the pages of scripture, like we've talked about. The healing is everywhere. We see it, all sorts of healing in the Old Testament, in Jesus's ministry, and in in the early church after Jesus is, uh, ascended to be with uh, with his heavenly father again. And we've recognized that actually, in our opinion, the continuationist view that, that the Holy Spirit giving gifts to us and uh, spiritual gifts and particularly the gifts of healing still continue today. And so it, that's a strong foundation for us to start from. If you disagree with us, that's okay. If you can prove it from from the Bible, that's fine. We're we're totally cool with that. We want to have unity here. If you, this is not a be all and end all divisive issue, but we believe that that God heals today. In the next episode, we're going to ask that really important question: Is divine healing guaranteed? So if if God still heals today, is He always going to heal? Does He always heal immediately and instantly? And then we'll kind of continue that little journey down the road of divine healing over the next couple of weeks. So I hope you'll stay with us for that. I hope you found this helpful. We'll pray that God will speak to you as we work through this, or it will ignite uh, a passion in you to learn more about this really important topic. And if you need prayer for healing, you'd like us to pray for you, uh, send me an email at simplefaithpodcast at gmail.com or contact us on social media on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. We would love to pray for you. We want to see God heal miraculously today. So with all that in mind, we're going to finish this episode here and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.